Welcome back to Cinema Adventure. We're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week we're talking about David Cronenberg's mind-melting movie, Scanners. I'm your psychic host, Aiden Walker. And I'm your evil scientist host, Blake. Oh, that was good. Oh, did I, I didn't say my last name, Peterson. I think every, hopefully people know by now. But I feel like if you say Aiden Walker and I just go Blake. We are actually recording our 31st episode 31st. Right yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we have like an episode for every day at this point. So For every day. Every day in a month. Yeah. <laughs> of some months. Not all. Yeah. But good for us. Good for us. Patting ourselves on the back. A little bit of that <laughs> at the beginning. We'll get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So Scanners came out in 1981. True. We already said it's directed <laughs> by David Cronenberg. And it's about psychics. It's about... Well, scanners, excuse me. What are they really? I still don't really get, like, what exactly a scanner is. I still don't even really get what they do. Like, they they scan people as if they were computers, I guess, and then can, like, control their minds, slash, like, make them explode. They're just, like, a lot of weird skills that... I don't know. This feels, like, almost like an X-Men precursor. They just have cool powers. I definitely got X-Men vibes from this A lot of X-Men vibes, yeah. Which is... (laughs) That's funny that you said that. I was watching it with a friend, and we both went, this feels like X-Men. <laughs> yeah, it's like X-Men, but more sinister, and with a tiny budget. <laughs> the tiny budget, yeah. yeah. I think the scanners are just, they're psychics. They're telekinetics. Yeah. They have the power to, it, you know what? You're right. They are different than that, because it's, like, it's not like they're just picking up things and moving them with their minds. They can do it all, They can I feel get like. inside of other people's minds and mm-hmm. do things. It seems like there might be some mind reading that's happening, because yeah. the protagonist, he hears voices all the time because mm-hmm. he's hearing everybody's thoughts yeah which is the very x-men thing right because yeah. what's his name uh, professor x patrick mm-hmm. stewart i almost said bateman and i'm yeah. like that's the guy from american psycho yeah, so I almost not said the same another another patrick i can't remember which one <laughs> dempsey but, yeah, yeah uh <laughs> but he he suffers from the same thing you know he's one of those telekinetics who can he can hear voices and it's so bad that it drives him crazy and you know there's the the whole thing that he puts on and yeah can hear everybody's thoughts all over the entire world this movie doesn't go quite that bananas no but not too banana it's pretty bananas it but is not it is pretty bananas not too overboard it takes itself pretty seriously i'd say for the most part yeah could be campy but chooses not to so that's like i feel like that's all of cronenberg's movies though they have these very at least the earlier part of his filmography they all are kind of these pulpy stories but he deals with them as if they were almost I don't want to say Shakespearean, but he he definitely does not succumb to kind of the low-budget exploitation characteristics. He kind of is an artiste, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting, though, that he does try to make a Shakespearean move in a spectacularly bad way at the end of the movie. <gasps> How dare you? How dare I? Spectacularly bad. Aiden. Yeah, the protagonist shows up and he meets like, I... the big bad, the big I bad love... guy. At the end, don't get me wrong. Their <laughs> final like mind melding showdown is amazing. Uh-huh. But he walks into that room and the big bad guy all of a sudden is like, "You're my brother. I love we it. have the same father." And there was I... literally nothing throughout the movie that would make you <laughs> even start to ponder that maybe that was possible. But it was like that. That was the plot twist, though. Was that the plot? Yeah, because like Doctor Ruth is, you know, both of their fathers. Or fathers, not plural. He is their father. Their mom got the highest dosage of whatever, you know, medicines making scanners happen. And, you know, there's just that weird little coincidence. I still don't really, I guess what you're saying is making sense, though, because how they got (laughs) split apart in the first place and all these different, I don't, 
That stuff's convoluted, and I don't really want to know. But I like it. Oh, me too. <laughs> Pulls it off. Not that part, but I like the rest of it. <laughs> oh, I don't even feel... I feel like even the things that I don't like about it, I still kind of like anyway. It's a weird thing. <laughs> One of the more ridiculous things in the movie is we get all the, these ideas that the scanners can read other people's minds. They can kind of interact with other humans. They can make other people's heads explode. They can control people to crash cars. They can all these things. And then suddenly at the end, it's hinted that scanners can go and be inside of computers and control computers mm. because computers have nervous systems. You know. <laughs> and and because it your nervous systems fuse together, which is amazing and hilarious. If they had said anything, any other word except for nervous system, I would have totally bought it. But they're like, the computer has a nervous system. No, it doesn't. It does not <laughs> we'll have just, one of those. We'll just say it does and we'll just go with it. I'm not going to argue yeah. with Dana, David Cronenberg's logic. His logic's crazy, so yeah, I'll just is. go with it. I will ask. So you you kind of chose this movie to watch. What? Why Scanners exactly of all do, of Cronenberg's movies? I wanted to do Cronenberg, and this one was on Filmstruck, and it was available to me. Oh, yeah. Does, is there any other ones available on Filmstruck, or is it just this one? Because that's where I watched it. I think it. The Brood is also on Filmstruck. Oh, my God. I love the brood so much. That's the that's one with the little kid, and there's the creatures in the house, right? I've yes. seen it. The creatures are. So <laughs> I won't tell you what they are, but like, the the creatures where they come from is maybe like the wildest concept I've ever heard from the moon? in my life. Not from crazier than that. The it's from, from it's from our uh, it's from Earth. It's it's, from it's Earth? here. Are they from the sewers? You'll just have to watch. I'll it, have to watch know. it. We <laughs> wouldn't so want good. you to spoil the brood. On I don't want to spoil the brood to anyone. No. I also, anytime one of my friends will wear like a rain jacket with a hood, I'm like, oh, you look like one of the little minions from the brood. <laughs> so that's always a fun reference to make. And they just all say, oh, thanks, Blake. Yeah, like thank you so much, that. Blake. Yeah, no, it's great. I would say Scanners was kind of a turning point for Cronenberg. Before this, he had made how many movies did he make? Like. Four or something? That's not an exact number. But he had done kind of four low-budget movies. They were all kind of zombie movies, I guess, with kind of these weird sexual undertones. And they're all... Most of Cronenberg's movies are super unpleasant for the most part. and oh, very yeah. They're not enjoyable at all, but I love them at the same time. But this is kind of... I would say this is his first almost mainstream-esque sci-fi thriller sort of movie. Like, it's accessible. It's kind of fun which none of his other movies really are, at least that I've seen. No, I mean, a movie like Eastern Promises certainly is not fun, but not it's fun. great. It's fantastic, but the worst at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're just watching Scanners it. Scanners like, is a lot of fun. I really like Scanners. You yeah. know, I got a, a very much a Blade Runner vibe from it, actually. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of that, that brand of sci-fi. Yeah, this kind of cerebral sort of thing that's going on. This film has a really strong aesthetic to it. It mm -hmm. picks a look... And it really sticks to it. You know, it's mostly kind of beige tones mm -hmm. throughout. But then there will be really shocking instances of red. Yeah. Did you notice that? Just like lots of mm -hmm. red all over the place. Or I guess mostly in, in bad places. Yeah. Like the bad people have red walls or red couches. Yeah. No, or I, I mean, like... or there's the shocking red when somebody's head just, you know, explodes. Exactly. Yeah. No, Cronenberg's movies definitely, like if you watch more of his stuff from like the 70s and I think pretty much all the 80s, he's really consistent as well. But he does definitely have a very consistent aesthetic which is it's it's very weird it's almost this i would say it's almost documentarian in a way like it just feels very like uh, the camera's indifferent to what's going on almost and so you'll see these really shocking scenes of violence but they're 
just kind of like looked at as if they weren't sensational. I don't even know how to describe it. It just feels like very cold and aloof almost, even though the stuff that's happening is really over the top. The scene that comes to mind when you say that is when the protagonist of this movie, played by Stephen Lack, Cameron Vale, his character is in bed. He's just been taken in after being kind of, you know, he's, he's a scanner, but he doesn't know how to control his power, so he's gone kind of crazy on the streets. So he gets, he gets brought in, and he's in a facility, and he's kind of tied down to a bed. And all these people come in to examine him. They all come in to watch an experiment be done. And the way the camera kind of floats around the room mm-hmm. and watches them is really voyeuristic. Yeah. It's re- it, it feels really separated from what's actually happening on the screen. You don't really get any tight shots on the protagonist. You don't really feel like you're connecting with him. It's just kind of you're watching what's happening to him. Yeah, and I think that's like why Cronenberg's movies are so unpleasant a lot of the time because a lot of movies that feature scenes of violence that are seen here and any of his other ones – there will be kind of some indication that maybe the filmmaker knows like, oh, this is really bad. And like, maybe we'll play scary music, something to kind of show you that, you know, this is really amped up. This is really violent and scary. You shouldn't, you know, think that this is okay. But whereas Cronenberg kind of just has the same tone throughout and there's never really a change necessarily. It's just all kind of dealt with in the same way. Um, almost like it's almost an inevitability. Like it's very odd, um, but it's very impressive that he, cause he pulls it off time and time again. So even when his movies are, uh, unpleasant, you still are kind of in awe of the way he's able to just keep this tone so consistent. I will yeah. say, do you want to give the audience at home a little plot rundown? Because I feel like this is a kind of a complicated plot for the most part, and so they might yeah, not know what a compli- scanner is. Complicated but simple in a way. <laughs> yeah. So there are people called scanners who can s- scan, I suppose. <laughs> They're telekinetics. They can use their their minds to kill people they can use their minds to subtly influence what people are doing like at one point a man is mind controlled into steering a car into a wall so it explodes and he dies there's a guy whose head explodes all kinds of wild stuff the scanners are basically most of them who aren't working for specific companies i suppose are hunted down and killed by operatives from the companies so there's two big companies there's one that the kind of the leader and one of the doctors there is Patrick McGowan, who plays uh, Dr. Paul Ruth. Mm-hmm. Did I say his name right? McGowan? Hopefully. I think that's name. right, yeah. He ends up taking in a scanner who has kind of lost it on the streets, played by Stephen Lack, and he trains him kind of to be a, an assassin of some sorts. And he sends him off to find out information about this other company who has this super evil dude who's leading them. Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside is like this incredibly powerful scanner who can really influence things Mm -hmm. and you see him do a lot of a lot of really scary murders yeah so basically the whole plot is one character trying to track down the other and find out information about him it's kind of it's almost a it uh, it plays out kind of like a revenge movie even though you're not quite sure what the revenge is yeah i don't think it's like two companies though because i think it's like the one primary company that ruth works for called consec and then Michael Ironside's like a rogue scanner and he's he, trying to he, like lead a revolution kind of and anyone he tries to find other scanners to join him and then whoever doesn't join him he that's why he kills them. Right, but Michael Ironside's character is also overseeing the plant that's creating the substance that gets injected into the scanners that suppresses their powers. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's very complicated. And I mean, that's kind of interesting because it doesn't feel like the movie is trying to explain the entire universe to you. Yeah. It's like you kind of get dropped into the middle of the story. Yeah. There's a lot of like deception going on in general and a lot of because there's one guy who works for presumably the same company as Ruth, who turns out to be working with, you know, this evil character. 
um, that we find out later on. So yeah, there's just a lot of people kind of serving themselves and backstabbing each other. And and then you have all the scanner nonsense as well going on. So it's a lot. Yeah. I think there's the one character who's really interesting. I can't remember what his name is. He's he's the artist. He's oh, yeah. a scanner who used to work for Consec, mm-hmm. but then he ran away because I guess he couldn't really control his power very well. So he becomes an artist and he's hidden away in this kind of ranch house and mm. he gets visited by the protagonist at one point. And you see he's created this gigantic head yeah. that you can go inside of, which is really symbolic. I mean, they're yeah. all using brain powers. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a whole bit where you get to go to, a, there's a gallery with all of his art mm-hmm. and it's all of these kind of twisted human figures yeah. and it's it's disturbing, but it's also like shockingly beautiful. I don't know, it's yeah. very interesting. Well, I love the scene too where they, the Cameron Fail guy, try to like figure out who's like the name of the actor versus the name of the character yeah anyway he goes to yeah to see him and then some of michael ironside's assassins come to like kill them basically but i love that scene so much because it's just very intense where cameron kills all of them with his mind basically and really all it is is the camera panning back and forth between these people who's like just have like these pained expressions almost like they're gonna like explode and there's nothing to this scene besides this just very physical and emotive acting that just like gets progressively more intense. And then maybe there's like a tiny bit of like blood that comes out of their nose or something, but it's all just acting. But it seems like a special effect kind of. And that's what Cronenberg does throughout the movie. Like all these death scenes that could be seen as being kind of corny, but they work really well. They're super intense. And almost like you forget that the movie is low budget because it just feels so genuine. What you said about the physical acting really reminded me the character who's the artist. Uh, the character's name is Benjamin Pierce, and he's uh-huh. played by Robert A. Silverman. Uh-huh. And that character, I've never seen another character like him in any movie. Just the way that he acts is so interesting. He holds his hands in a really particular way. Like, he yeah. looks like he's trying to suppress something within him, and he... He talks like he's been shut in in this place for such a long time that he's he doesn't really know how to relate. Yeah. It's very, very interesting character, and he dies in a really tragic way. I felt really bad for him because oh, clearly, like he was, he just wanted he to escape. Just, he just wanted to escape. You know, he he was given these powers and he didn't want them. Yeah, that was very X Men like. Yeah, felt very oh, definitely. Speaking of the acting, like, what did you think of it? Because I know there's been a lot of people can't decide if Stephen Black and Jennifer O'Neill, she plays another scanner, if they are just genuinely bad actors, or if like they're purposely acting very stiffly to kind of mimic this idea that they are kind of of another being almost because there's like this weird you have them and then all these characters also who are very operatic like ironside's villain is really over the top so you have these this weird assortment of these kind of weird understated performances versus these really huge ones and like did you feel like it was bad acting or do you think it was like intentional I want to say that it was intentional, but I think it's probably a mix of both because of the low budget. They probably, you know, weren't the best actors. But then at the same time, I feel like if they were acting in the dramatic way that Mm. these situations in the film really called for, it probably would have felt corny and disingenuous. Yeah, no, it's very weird for me because I like when I watched it, I kind of went back and forth between whether I thought you know, Stephen Lack is, like, effective in this or if he is actually kind of bad. Because he is the main guy, but he he's very wood and doesn't really have much of a personality, and so you're kind of unclear about whether he's doing a good job. I don't think he was an actor, though. I think I had read, I'm not positive, but I kind of think he was an athlete, maybe? Don't quote me. Mm. I don't... I think it would have been interesting if instead of it being like, oh, we're going to take these scanners in off the street and kind of train them how to be assassins... If they had spent more time on that and showed mm-hmm. somehow the process of him training to become a 
fighter in a way, like yeah. a, like a mind fighter. <laughs> if they had shown that process as being dehumanizing in some way to him, to like wear him down and break him down, I would have believed the stiff acting more. Yeah, I don't know. I would have believed that he was more robotic because of some other reason, but I didn't really, I didn't really get that. No, no, it's very interesting. I feel like I just saw Jennifer O'Neill in like this Italian horror movie where she acted similarly, but like at the like this movie, it was almost. The stiffness worked with it, so I don't know if that was just something she just built a career off of somehow, just not acting great, but it just happened to work for the movie she was in. <laughs> also, her hair just, like, confuses me in this movie. I just feel like it's just, like, a weird mound with some gray in it. Like, it's just, yeah. it's very interesting. I couldn't figure out how old she was either. I couldn't figure out where this movie took place. Canada, I guess. Because, like, Cronenberg's Canadian, so I just assume that everything he does is there. Yeah. It felt, a lot of it felt really Russian. Like, some of the, a lot of the architecture felt <laughs> huh. really Russian to me. But then, yeah. at the same time, you'd see, I think, Chinese characters on the buildings yeah. in some places. I mean, that would actually make sense for Vancouver, mm. which is where they film every movie. Yeah. Did but I really know? I think it was in Canada. I think it's supposed to be <laughs> ambiguous as to where no, it's it taking No, it doesn't really place. matter doesn't in matter, the long run. But... It's an interesting place, and it feels really cold and you Sterile. Know, detached. Just like all of Cronenberg's movies. Yeah. I wonder what it would be like to watch one of his movies that was, like, emotional and, you know, moved you, was touching. I don't... Is he capable? I don't know. Who knows? We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> well, I think it's about time for you to do some fun facts. <gasps> all right. I guess I'll do it. <laughs> Is it that <laughs> Cronenberg filmed it in a detached way because he wanted you to feel sad? That was it. <laughs> nope. Dang it. Okay, well, I'm not a spoiler, so <laughs> You'll the be government su- won't kill me. That's You'll good. be surprised to find that this movie was actually like a nightmare to make. Really? Like, Cronenberg hated making this movie. Wow. And I'll tell you why. So the Canadian film industries, like their financing practices were really kind of disorganized, I guess, uh, around the time this movie was made. They like had to begin shooting with only like two weeks worth of pre-production. And so the screenplay like wasn't even completed when they started shooting. And so Cronenberg would have to write this script that they would like film each day between 4 and 7 a.m. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just to try to get it done. That's so terrible. And like also because of the rush schedule, like the production design team, they didn't have any time to build sets. So they would literally like the more like a couple hours before shooting, they would like go find some place that like might work and then see if they could film there. Basically, they did a great job. They did such a good job because this movie, I think, too, it flows so well. Like you would never guess that it was kind of almost everything's kind of last minute and moving really quickly. Because I think movies that do this sort of thing, you can feel it in a way, but this one you definitely cannot. So no, this felt it felt so premeditated. It mm-hmm. felt like they had everything figured out. I would never have guessed that. No, it's incredible. Yeah, like Cronenberg later said it was total nightmare. <laughs> so would never guess. And it's funny that it was a nightmare too, because this was his first financially successful movie. All of his other movies have done pretty badly. I think this made its budget back several times and he didn't even I think his next really successful movie was The Fly, which was five years later. But this was, like, one of his biggest hits. So it's kind of worked out, I guess, kind of okay for him. And I guess it was also bad because Patrick McGuhan and Jennifer O'Neill did not get along either. They fought a lot on set. So that's always fun. So I guess to get away from shooting difficulties. So the movie's most famous for its scene at the beginning where a character's head explodes, which is, like, still one of my favorites. It's, like, one of the opening scenes, and that's, like, yeah. one of my favorite 
I, it's not really an opening. One of my favorite openings of all time. It's so memorable. It is. I've seen. It's gross. I had seen, I had seen the gif of that guy's head it's exploding. Crazy. So many places over the years, <laughs> and I had no idea that it was from this. So it was such yeah. a, a treat. It's such a cool <laughs> to find out the the root of a stupid meme that I've seen <laughs> everywhere. No, it's such an amazing special effect, and I think I mean you always talk about how much you love practical effects, and I think this is like to me one of like the finest examples of people just kind of. Figuring it one out the, and making it happen. One of the most fine <laughs> so examples mm. of so the good. practical effects. Yum, the yum, man's yum. head that explodes. Honestly, I stand for it. It's great. Um. It's, a, it's a very good. And it's just, you know, it's really just so corny that, but it also, it's so corny, it's so but good. so good. You know, like I'm not grossed out by it when I see it. I'm like, yeah. Honestly, you know? like I really, I think 80s movies with these kind of gore sequences are so underrated. Like, there's this director, Lucio Fulci, who, like, is known for just having these long-winded set pieces just be like, look at these gore effects that my, uh, you know, special effects person just did. And it's just that for most of the movie, and I love it. I think it's so funny. Oh, yeah. I love all that behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, earlier, so earlier cool. today, I saw on YouTube... They're starting, now that The Last Jedi is about to come out on DVD, they're starting to put out like little teases of uh -huh. some of the behind the scenes stuff. You know, when they went to the the salt planet with the red yeah. uh, dust that it all kicked up? Like so much of that red dust was practical stuff for the up close. Really? So they took paper and they shredded it up and dyed it red oh. and then would spread it out all over the place and then they'd have cars drive by that were like covered with green screen material to oh, wow. kick up the dust oh my god because they went to actually they did go to some i think salt flats in some uh -huh. places but then also they filmed on sets anyway Super that's cool. a total like sidebar <laughs> but no like all that red stuff was real come on love it yeah i love real stuff I love real stuff too, man. <laughs> yeah. But back to how they did the head exploding scene. Oh, so I guess you're going to teach me now? Yeah. Oh, I'm, no, it's I'm crazy. <laughs> the stuff they put in this is nuts. They made a latex head of the actor and filled it with dog food, leftover <laughs> lunches, fake blood, and rabbit livers. And then oh, they shot it from behind with a 12 gauge shotgun. <laughs> that is absolutely that's horrible and crazy that's crazy what does that smell like Bad. like do you think of the aftermath of that oh my god Ugh. terrible oh but geez. looks amazing i guess cronenberg that was actually originally going to be like the opening opening but he really wanted people to see it so like he was worried that like because some moviegoers you know are tardy and so he made it kind of the second scene so that anyone who is late would get a chance to take the dinks so it is a good way to kind of start off the movie because you almost at the beginning you're distrustful of scanners and so you kind of have to get used to like this universe where some are good some are extremely evil but and you're kind of mimicking the distrust that comes from like the government and stuff they give you a heavy dose of evil at the beginning <laughs> with that head explosion i love a heavy dose of evil it's great <laughs> um and then i guess the the like drug that because like you find out later in the movie that people who were scanners are basically like Pregnant mothers were given this drug, basically, and that's what causes them. It's called them. ephemeral. Ephemeral, yeah. And so I guess, I don't know if Cronenberg did this on purpose, but it bears a striking resemblance to this other drug called, like, thalidomide um, <laughs> that was administered to a lot of women in the 50s. And it was, like, marketed as a relief for morning sickness. But then after a while, like, children started being born and they would have phocomalia, whatever that is, and like these really extensive physical deformities. So it was kind of a play on that of Interesting. kind of having this. What is that word? Which one? There's so many big words on this. I feel like a character in a CSI episode. <laughs> phocomalia. Mm. I'm going to look that up while, yeah. while we talk. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, but those are my fun facts. It's a great time to stop right as you're looking at something. 
But yeah, I don't know if like that was on purpose or if it was just kind of accidental. Because I feel like before then, I mean, I guess The Brood, which was the movie Cronenberg made previously, was pretty allegorical a lot of the time. So I guess it is possible, but I kind of just figured that this movie is just like a silly sci-fi movie and they needed some sort of believable explanation as to why there are so many scanners. So do you know what the disease is yet? I do. Focomelia is a condition that has uh, babies are born with malformed arms and legs. Oh, okay. So they'll be like really small or yeah. shaped in a gotcha. not the right way. Yeah. Yeah, so comparable. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> we talked about atmosphere a little bit. Yes. And this film creates a really striking atmosphere through its sound. Yeah. I was paying really close Ooh, attention I to the love. sound in this movie. It has a very bizarre kind of synth-heavy soundtrack. Mm. And then every area has some kind of – there's either beeping from, I don't know, machines – or there's just kind of a droning hum yeah, all the time. No, that hum, I don't know what that is. But I feel like when I think of Cronenberg's movies, too, like I almost, as I'm thinking of things, I'm thinking of a hum. Even if it doesn't exist in the movie, it just feels... What is it? They use it in this, like, Gaspar Noé movie called The Irreversible, too, where he just, like, kept this, like, quiet hum throughout the movie to kind of just make you unsettled. And I feel like that's used here as well. But. Yeah. That, Lots and then of it, strange sound effects. Yeah, it sounds. It reminds me too of Forbidden Planet because that one, instead of using like a soundtrack, just uses like computer noises, kind of. And so oh, yeah. you're just very aware of the technology all the time. And I feel like this movie's the same way. Like you hear these computer noises, you're aware of this technological kind of clinical atmosphere, and then you have that hum that reminds you of this kind of ominous atmosphere. So yeah, and then they do a good job of showing you. The, the creepy side of being a telekinetic and being able to yeah. read people's minds because they they do let you hear kind of what the protagonist is hearing mm -hmm. when he's reading people's minds. You hear like fragments of sentences, but yeah. people's voices are garbled and the way the audio is mixed, it sounds like it's surrounding you. It's not yeah. like it's not like the, the voice is coming from a particular person. There's several voices which are all coming from the same location and they're mm -hmm. everywhere at the same time. It's really bizarre. Yeah. And it's... Um, it's discombobulating. Oh, nice word. Thank you. That word like reminds me of like vomit. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I don't know what it is. A lot of people but... probably vomit after being discombobulated. That's true. There you go. So there's like that little tie-in. So my brain's not just being crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like in general Ironside's performance a lot. Like it's just so hammy and it really... I think he finds a good balance of he's very deranged, but you also can sense that he's also very intelligent. He's a knowing sort of villain who he really understands what he wants. He's going to get it no matter what he has to do. And he's just very over the top. And I love it. Yeah, he's he's very intense. He's so intense. And he, he looks big, too. He just he has does. such an imposing stature. Yeah. And he he's just, well cast. He just looks evil, which I kind of almost feel bad for these actors who, to me, look evil. Because I'm sure they're, they could... I don't know him. But, like, he could be really <laughs> nice, but he just looks happens to look evil. So I just... That's my automatic sort of presumption. I'm sure probably they have him made up a little bit, too. I would imagine. Sunken eyes, you know. Yeah. Make him look like he hasn't slept, that kind of... Oh, for Spooky. sure. <laughs> no, everyone's unsettling here. Everybody makes a good face in this movie, too. They really do. It's not like most other movies where you see somebody who has, you know, the force or uh, <laughs> some kind of ability to make things float or take over people's minds where they just kind of look, you know, furrowed brow intense and extend a hand or whatever. In this movie, everybody looks like they're having convulsions or, <laughs> or that, that the act of performing a telepathy 
a telekinetic power is physically painful to them. Yeah. No, I love a that. Great strain to use their powers. That's honestly, I think, and it is when you really think about this movie. Like, there's so many ways that it could have been cheesy or unbelievable, especially because you do have those scenes where someone's being scanned, so you see like them reacting and flailing everywhere, and then like the the scanner themselves scanning them, and it seems like they're in pain as well. So it's just like a lot of almost intense stare downs where they're just looking at each other really intensely for a long period. And I feel like it could go south, but it just, they never do here. Like, they're always very effective in freaking works. us out. It yeah. works because it's simple. Yeah. You know, if they tried to make it, like, I don't know, if they tried to do some kind of special effect that made the, the, the screen kind of, like, wave or something, or, like, there were, I don't know, beams of energy that went between the heads, it yeah. would be stupid. But here, you can just, you can just feel it through them looking like they're in pain, and then the weird sound, there'll be like a high-pitched buzzing yeah. or a hum. You get the idea that something is happening. Yeah. You can infer. It doesn't It doesn't try to beat you over mm. the head with it. And there's nice. like literally one scene too where it's like Jennifer O'Neill is being scanned by. You just see like a woman's baby bump and the baby's apparently scanning her. Oh, yeah. And it's like that scene would be so dumb anywhere else. But it's like actually scary here. And it's really just Jennifer O'Neill looking all intensely at a stomach <laughs> yeah and the thing that also works about the the effect is that when people get scanned their nose starts to bleed yeah so you, you see them they look like they're in pain and there's that little drop of blood you know something's happening yeah what does it feel like i wonder bad man. i would it feels really bad i don't really want to find out but i also do it's like one of those things where like you always kind of wonder what it's like to <laughs> like be tasered in a way like you're just like <laughs> it seems terrible but you're just like a little bit curious what yeah. that feels like probably not great probably i would really, imagine i've heard it's really bad based on the reactions uh that i've seen <laughs> not fun no, no not good not good at all well let's do some final thoughts then final thoughts i think this is one of cronenberg's more accessible movies he's made so many movies that are kind of unwelcoming of a mainstream audience and they felt a little bit more like he's just kind of I don't know, kind of just enjoying himself rather than trying to make movies for the masses. And so this one, I think, does a good job of kind of combining the big cerebral ideas that he has kind of played on in the past, but also fashioning it in a way that can be enjoyed as kind of a straightforward, you know, sci-fi horror movie. So I'd say this isn't necessarily my favorite Cronenberg movie, but I think for people who are maybe interested in getting started with his filmography, this is probably a good place to go because it really introduces you to his style. I'm not well versed in Cronenberg and this feels like it would be a good place to jump in. I think so too. The only other Cronenberg movie I've seen besides this one now was Eastern Promises. Mm -hmm. And that's by all accounts a very good movie, but it's not a fun movie. Yeah. This movie I was going and I was like, oh, it's Cronenberg and I think it's just going to be really dark and I'm going to feel the same way, kind of <laughs> depressed at the end of it. And it ended up just being a really good time. Like, yeah. It's a, overall a very enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. It is a little detached, yeah. but it's fun sci-fi and it is, yeah. it's pulp in a really good way. Mm -hmm. It's pulpy. So I would, I'd also recommend this as a place to jump in. Yeah. I'd probably, probably watch this one before Eastern Promises. Yeah. Viggo Mortensen's great, but that's a scary movie, man. <laughs> it's freaky. And that one too, like, I feel like a lot of his movies are unsettling, but they're a little bit fantastical. So you're not, you kind of know, like, all oh, this is in like a separate sort of thing, but like all of Eastern Promises, the stuff that's scary in there is like stuff that could happen in real life and does happen in real life. And so that makes it a lot scarier because you're kind of looking into this underground world that you know exists don't really want to know more and yet you're placed right in the middle of it so yes yeah that is the perfect way to sum up uh, that's that frightening <laughs> let's do recommendations yeah uh, i can start this time cool in terms of fun sci-fi that's kind of goofy and has a strong aesthetic i'm gonna recommend 
one of George Lucas's really early movies, THX 1138. Mm, I've heard that's good. Which is really bizarre. I didn't <laughs> love it, but it, you know, if you like science fiction and you like practical effects and, you know, feeling kind of absorbed in a, in a film, this one's a, a good one for that. And you'll also start to see kind of the basis for some of the early sound effects and uh, design cues that will eventually reappear in Star Wars. Hmm. So I recommend that. For more telekinesis action, <laughs> watch Carrie mm. for that, for those good special effects, really powerful people with brain powers. Watch <laughs> Carrie. It's a great movie. I just saw it for the first time recently. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and then lastly, for some out-of-this-world science fiction, <laughs> I'm going to recommend the 1970s Invasion of the Body Snatchers Aww. because it's also very crazy wait is that the campy. is the one from 78 yes oh, okay i haven't seen that one no is it have like, you just seen the one from the is it the 50s i haven't even seen that one i've just heard of them i know they're great and i just haven't tried it's yeah. like the one from the 70s is it comparable like in tone to this because i would i always kind of assumed that it was kind of cronenberg-esque yeah hmm. kind of there's some really creepy stuff in it Ooh. there's you know i mean you know the whole premise is that there's aliens yeah. that absorb people in these That's weird so pods scary. but then there's also these other weird creatures that are like part dog <laughs> they're dogs but with what? with the faces of men what the heck it's absolutely sounds like a little more than like the 50s one because i feel like Probably. it wasn't the 50s one i haven't seen it but i've heard it's very ambiguous there's a lot of just kind of you know, I don't know. I haven't seen the fifties one. I'm either. about to do it. Just, I think I'm gonna do it back to back. Back to back. Compare. Double feature. See what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? Um. So I just went on a Cronenberg kick. I just recommended two Cronenberg <laughs> movies I really like. I didn't put the brute on here because I feel like I recommended it before. I feel like I've also talked about how much I like it already. So I honestly would say like after watching Videodrome, watch the brute because I think that's fantastic horror movie. But my first recommendation is the movie he made after uh, Scanners, which is called Videodrome from 1983, starring James Woods and Blondie. Not Blondie. Deborah Harry. Sorry. Blondie <laughs> is the name of the band. I can't believe I would say that. I'm so sorry. Anyway, that is it's a television satire, but it kind of is a return to his very muted, uncomfortable style. And that is, I think, kind of the exemplification of him making you really uncomfortable and you kind of leave feeling depressed and kind of gross. But it brings up a lot of really cool ideas about consumerism and the entertainment industry and kind of wraps it all in this really creepy science fiction horror atmosphere. So definitely an interesting movie. You're not going to enjoy it, but I think it kind of shows like how good Cronenberg is at establishing this very specific aesthetic. Another one that I really like of his that I think has been really underrated, I think people kind of just passed it along as kind of just like a minor work, is 1999's Existence, which that one has Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee. And that one's cool. Uh, the Lee character is a video game designer, and she's made this game where you are able to go inside a game that she's designed, basically. And so it's basically this whole movie where you can't really tell what's real and what's fake, like what's in the game, what's happening in real life. And it's a very, I think it's kind of like Scanners, honestly. Like it has these really cool high concepts, but it's still kind of a fun, adventuresome sort of movie. So, and I kind of think that's on Netflix, but I did watch it on Netflix a long time ago, so maybe not. But yeah, I would check those two out. Big fan. I love movies where you go inside of video games. Oh, it's the best. Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase is the... <laughs> the best jumanji welcome to the jungle that's also the best so good just watch them all together i didn't think i was gonna enjoy that movie. i love jumanji i really funny i didn't expect to love it as much as i did <laughs> yeah i just thought it would be dumb but i was like i i could watch this five more times and probably laugh each time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah just 
The Rock is great, and so is uh, everybody. They're all great. Oh, Jack Black, Jack especially. Jack Black is amazing. In uh, so when are they? Funny. They need to start like recognizing at the Oscars these really great comedy supporting actors. Like he could get one. Tiffany Haddish should have gotten one for Girls Trip. We all know this, but I don't know. Maybe in the future. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not the one Cronenberg imagines. Hopefully you not. Know, Hopefully not. His futures are terrible. His futures are pretty grim. <laughs> They're sad. They're pretty grim. <laughs> if you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, Stitcher, TuneIn, and our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast or on our personal accounts at Aiden Wonkero or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write to us with a suggestion for a film to watch or just want to share your thoughts, you can send us an email at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow along with us, next Monday we're going to be talking about The Love Witch, one of Blake's favorites. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history. Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Fultz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things, but if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.